This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. A new political party is attracting a surge of support on social media and it's pulling big crowds to public meetings and even to an anti-lockdown protest this week. But its platform and its leader draw heavily on outlandish theories and misinformation that floats freely online. Overseas, believers in conspiracies with no basis in fact have become significant factors in their politics. So how should the media confront conspiracy theories that are getting a foothold in mainstream politics here without boosting the signal? Newsrooms don't know how to report on it. Like They don't know who to talk to for analysis. They don't know if, if you're the, the six o'clock news, you don't know how to visually show that story. The, the pictures don't exist to break down how a conspiracy theory works and why we're hearing about this crazy stuff. Also, one political player made headlines this week calling into talk radio posing as someone else, while a sitting MP was handed the mic all morning on a national network for the week. But I'll tell you what, it's, it's confusing. I'm getting ranty. I'm getting ranty. We look at Merv's moment and Paula's callers a little later. But first, how breaking news that no one wanted to hear this week stirred up an increasingly fraught election campaign. It's a very interesting time for democracy, um, I, I, she said grandiosely. But, I mean, we're, we're getting a lot of texts saying, Judith Collins, she's outrageous. This is not a time to criticise the government. The media is getting told, you can't ask those questions. This is a time to be solid. You have to support the government and not question it. It's uh, an unnerving time to have an election. That was Kim Hill on RNZ's Morning Report last Wednesday. And the next day, Kim Hill had an unnerving encounter with National Party leader Judith Collins. Do you take any responsibility for a mood of fear and panic, having collaborated with Jerry Brownlee to suggest that the government is hiding things from the public? What a ridiculous thing to say. What we're saying is, when we are... What does transparency mean? When you call for more transparency, Ms Collins, what does that mean? I think we need to have information as soon as it's possible to have it. There is, of course, a big difference between making important information available as soon as possible and hinting darkly that the government and officials might have been withholding it. What do these guys know that they're not telling us? The National Party's deputy leader, Jerry Brownlee, asked in a statement last week. And earlier this week, he and his leader urged the media to investigate what he called a series of interesting facts. On Friday, Jerry Brownlee said he got into a bad spot with this and insisted he really didn't want to fuel conspiracy theorists. And there's no shortage of those, as we'll hear in a minute here on Media Watch. But just like Judith Collins, the media also want as much solid information out there as soon as possible. During Friday's lunchtime daily briefing, Health Minister Chris Hipkins responded like this to reporters asking repeatedly about reported cases of community transmission and rumours of them on social media. Um, there were rumours circulating around Wellington yesterday about positive tests. Um, I spent a bit of time chasing those down and can confirm that they were incorrect. Um, well, this is one of the challenges that we have across the country at the moment. People are at a heightened level of anxiety. That's understandable. Um, there is one source of truth, though, uh, when it comes to these things, and that's the announcements we make here. But that claim was undermined at that very press conference when the Director General of Health wrongly referred to a case at one Auckland area high school which knew nothing of the suggestion. On this weekend's News Hub Nation, Chris Hipkins was asked, how did that happen? 
Yeah, that, that wasn't an issue with contact tracing. That was an issue with the preparation for the media briefing um, and the incorrect information was included in that. Um, look, ultimately, uh, you know, I think the, the Director General and his team, you know, he was given uh, wrong speech notes for that um, and, and that's very unfortunate. Um, obviously, you know, we'll look to tighten that process up as much as we can. Um, that could have happened, easily happened to me as well, so we're tightening up that process around preparation for those media briefings mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, we want to you know, be absolutely clear here, when we release information at one o'clock, it's got to be absolutely rigid and robust. What some journalists have called government by daily press conference has frustrated the media throughout the COVID crisis. Most of them now work in a deadlineless, continuous news environment, and many times they've asked specific questions only to have to wait till the next day for a sensible answer, by which time the claim that they're trying to verify true or false, has spread far and wide online. And after the announcement of Auckland's lockdown extension, the Minister was pressed on this again at yesterday's daily briefing. Would you consider perhaps delivering more, um, more round-the-clock updates to the Ministry of Health to allow yourselves to clamp down on this sort of speculation and get some of it proved correct and others, other speculation completely discounted so that people weren't waiting on the 1pm update so much? Because some of this speculation goes like wildfire for hours and hours and hours before you're able to debunk it at this yeah. press conference. Look, I'll make a couple of observations on that. The first is, uh, through our testing and contact tracing processes, the people that need to know, know as soon as they need to know, as soon as the information is out there. The information that we're putting out each day at one o'clock is designed to ensure that we can test the veracity of all of that information, that we can draw all of the links that we need to draw and give people as complete a picture as possible. Now he went on to say there's little they can do if people are contacted by contact tracing teams, as they do when the system is working as it should, and then those people post stuff on social media at any time of day. Newshub reporter Lisette Raymer put it this way on Newshub at 6 last night. He went as far as to say that health officials at the moment are not only working overtime to stamp out COVID-19, they are also having to work hard to stamp out the rumours and the conspiracy. And his advice to people is that if you're at home surfing the web and you see anything, take it as not true unless you hear it in that 1pm press conference. But another factor for officials and government is that the more often they release information in response to either public or media, demand, any instance of imperfection will be cast as evidence of incompetence by their critics, especially at election campaign time. On Wednesday's morning report, RNZ's political editor Jane Patterson told Kim Hill that the media are in the middle here when it comes to holding the government to account right now. Of course the government should be questioned um, and I think Judith Collins made that point. She was saying it's not that she's questioning going into level three, she's questioning the information and the testing regime um, or the quality of the testing that's led up to this. And as we saw in the last lockdown, through that epidemic response committee, through media questions, things like testing, PPE, um, quarantining at the border, a lot of improvements were made to those systems through scrutiny and through pressure. I think what the public's asking is that people do it um, in a way that um, does not, I suppose, challenge the team effort. They People don't like to see combative or negative, so it's going to be getting the tone. But scrutiny, now more than ever, is incredibly important. And some of the sort of scrutiny which helps came from NewsHub's investigations editor Michael Mora on NewsHub at 6 last Thursday. The Health Ministry says as of August 3 last Monday, 1,089 border workers in Auckland had had a test. 
However, figures provided to NewsHub show there are 40 Air New Zealand ground staff, 47 immigration staff, 52 biosecurity officers, 141 customs officers and 2,700 managed isolation or quarantine staff. A total of 2,980 workers in Auckland. So, 63.5% of a workforce at risk just last week who had never had a test. Now that revelation could end up being highly significant if or when we find out the source of this week's outbreak of community transmission. Though some in the media this past week seemed pretty certain that experts and officials who were warning that an outbreak could happen were wasting their time. I I made up my mind this morning that I wasn't going to get on a big rant about um, quarantine and the fact that they're saying there's more likely to be a, um, you know, community transmission at the moment than there was, you know, sort of six or eight weeks ago. And... So I'm not going to. I think we should be grateful that I have to go to a news um, ad because, quite frankly, I call bullshit, which I'm probably not allowed to say on radio. That was Paula Bennett on the Magic Talk Network last Monday saying something you're not really meant to say on the radio too often on day one of her week-long stint filling in on the station and the last days of her day job as a National Party MP. And there was more where that came from later on the same show. You know, it really has been a four-month evidence-free zone. Yeah, what it has. And um, if there's one thing I do know a lot about, and there's a lot of things I don't know much about, but if there's one thing I do know a lot about, it's about campaigns and how they run. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind that at the moment um, fear is being used um, to potentially try and win an election, and I reckon that's wrong. Paula Bennett's insistence that the community transmission was not a worry right now was torpedoed by the events of the following day. An email has been sent to staff at County's Manukau DHB. If someone's got a copy of that email, please send it to us. I haven't seen that. It seemed clear something serious had happened when the Prime Minister's office alerted media shortly before 9pm that night that there'd be a press conference featuring the PM and the Director-General of Health at about quarter past, and so it proved. After 102 days, we have our first cases of COVID-19 outside of a managed isolation or quarantine facility in New Zealand. And from a standing start that night, the response from the media was impressive. The announcement was covered live on TV and radio and streamed and live blogged online. Critical information about Level 2 and Level 3 restrictions and where and when they'd be applied was reliably and rapidly relayed. But no matter how clear the message, not everyone was taking it all on board. For instance, having urged people not to panic by in her announcement, the Prime Minister was then asked in the press conference that followed to respond to reports that it was already underway in Auckland. When News Talk ZB's nighttime host Marcus Lush resumed his show when the action in the Beehive was all over on Tuesday, callers confirmed that crowds had descended on the countdowns in Auckland. Absolutely crazy. Queues on the road to get into the car park. And soon after, Marcus Lush tried to talk down any would-be panic by shoppers listening in their cars heading for the supermarket. Don't do it. Instant noodles, Louisiana chicken, you'll be fine. Rice risotto from the dairy, two litre milk and milo, you don't need to panic by. It's three days. Because if there's community transmission, you're out there falling over each other in the supermarket, that's not a good thing. And some from the whanau of five million who phoned in got short shrift from the normally mild-mannered Marcus Lush. So just imagine a disease so deadly you actually have to be tested to know if you've got it. This is just nonsense. 
Well, it's absolute nonsense. Well, it's... Nigel, how many people are dead in America? How many people have died from cancer in the same time, Marcus? More people have died but, but, from but, cancer. But, 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 but this is, this is not mutually... Nigel, this is not mutually exclusive. It's not idiot hour. This is a preventable, communicable disease. It's not motor accidents. It's not cancer. Have you not learned anything in the last six months, Nigel? Now, Nigel wasn't the only individual whose scepticism this past week seemed to have been amplified by misinformation. And as Auckland locked down again this week, experts and leaders voiced fears that unfounded theories floating free online might undermine the collective response that the strategy depends upon, and not without reason, as Hayden Donnell now reports. In the hours after Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announced Auckland would be moving back into lockdown, Billy Takahika Jr. did something he'd done many times before and switched on Facebook Live. The New Zealand Public Party leader launched into a familiar refrain. He said the lockdown was planned in advance. The resurgence of COVID-19 was all part of a government plot. We have been saying for over a month now that this lockdown was coming. We did say it would be the second week of August. And um, the intel that we get, guys, so, you know, as I always say, has... um, um, it comes from patriotic New Zealanders that are in government agencies that leak information to us uh, with what's being planned. Jacinda Ardern and Director General of Health Ashley Bloomfield have both said they found out about the new COVID-19 outbreak roughly five hours before the lockdown announcement. There's no evidence they're lying and plenty they're telling the truth. In the past, theories like Billy Takahika's might have been dismissed or sidelined. But the blues musician from Whangarei has built up a substantial following on social media since he started posting screeds of misinformation and conspiracy theories during the last lockdown in March. His Facebook audience has grown from a few hundred to more than 20,000, and his New Zealand Public Party meetings have seen packed halls. On Tuesday, Billy Takahika's theory spread rapidly. It was echoed by celebrities, including the Australian chef Pete Evans, who said the lockdown was a scam in a post that linked back to the New Zealand Public Party. A popular Instagram influencer with the handle Blessed and Doubles implied the new health measures were helping usher in military rule. Even Nationals Deputy Leader Jerry Brownlee was accused of engaging in conspiratorial thinking after hinting that the government had known more about the resurgence of COVID-19 than it was letting on. Uh, All very interesting things to have happened uh, a matter of hours before there was a notification of... Uh, uh, the largest uh, residential part of New Zealand going into uh, level three lockdown. So what are you what are you saying there then? Can you just tell what are you what are you saying there? I'm just outlining facts. But but what do you mean by that? I mean, are you saying it's not a coincidence that they knew? Well, why don't you ask some questions? Maybe you should ask their own questions. These sorts of claims became so prevalent that Jacinda Ardern actually chose to address them multiple times at press conferences on Wednesday. I've heard suggestion that we uh, may have had this information earlier than we have said. There is no reason why we would ever do that. And I hope that you'll hear from the timeline we set out that we have been moved very, very quickly, including informing the public. I do worry that those kind of theories do nothing to support what needs to be collective action from all of us. And on Wednesday afternoon, this was how she characterised Jerry Brownlee's implied allegations. The idea that we would keep information back from the public when that is critical to us being able to look after their health and therefore their financial well-being and their jobs, the idea that we would ever do that is just nonsense. And that's the last I'm going to say on it.
Jacinda Ardern's comments highlight a new problem facing the government as it tries to stamp out COVID-19 for a second time. It's now essentially dealing with two parallel crises, the virus and the maelstrom of misinformation surrounding it, which the WHO has termed an infodemic. Recent news reports have hinted at the sheer scale of ill-informed and often conspiratorial belief. An internal Facebook report leaked to NBC this week showed the social media platform hosts thousands of pages linked to the conspiracy theory QAnon, with millions of followers between them. Several recently elected Republican members of the U.S. House of Representatives are associated with QAnon. That conspiratorial thinking has fed into that country's disastrous COVID response, helping to undermine its public health messages. In an article on Thursday, newsroom Sam Sushdeva argued comments like Jerry Brownlee's risk moving New Zealand in the same direction. Making ominous references to interesting facts runs the risk of undermining public buy-in for a longer lockdown should one be required. As the US has torn itself apart over a politicised COVID response as deaths shoot upwards, we've patted ourselves on the back. Such complacency on the health front has proved to be a mirage. We can only hope the quality of our political discourse does not similarly evaporate. Despite their increasingly significant real-world impact, many media outlets still devote few resources to covering conspiracy theories. When they do, it's still often in a bemused tone. This is Morning Report host Corin Dan introducing a segment about QAnon on July 29. Right, still to come before nine here on Morning Report, Australia has its worst day yet in its battle against COVID-19. Nati Awa heads to court over water bottling. And what on earth is QAnon? The journalists who do report seriously on the rise of conspiracy theories encounter their own set of ethical conundrums. They have to weigh up how to cover movements like QAnon without inadvertently promoting them. Several papers have arguably given conspiracies overly uncritical coverage recently. A Gisborne Herald report on one of Billy Takahika's meetings from July 8 was simply headlined Global Plandemic. It led with the startling header. Labour communists Jacinda Ardern and Ashley Bloomfield are complicit in the global agenda of state control that involves the construction of the coronavirus pandemic. New Zealand Public Party founder and lay minister Billy Tekahika made that claim to a packed room at Waikanae Surf Lifesaving Club on Saturday night. The Raglan Chronicle struck a similar tone in its coverage of one of those meetings, spelling out many of Billy Tekahika's outlandish beliefs under the headline post-lockdown Billy Takahika event attracts many. RNZ's Kim Hill acknowledged the risks of giving a platform to conspiracy theorists earlier this month. She had considered interviewing the doctor at the heart of the discredited COVID-19 denial video pandemic. Um, and we thought about talking to Judy Mikovits, who made it, but then decided she was plain deluded. But that spread, and that's all to do with the COVID-19 being... Uh, you know, man-made hoax of some kind. Stuff reporter Charlie Mitchell had similar concerns while writing a lengthy feature detailing the rise of Billy Takahika. We're quite keen not to amplify or give a platform to information that is false or, or misleading, but we also sort of need to cover matters of public interest in a way that's, uh, in a way that's fair, to give people a right of reply and to accurately characterise their beliefs. And so in this case, particularly, those two ideas are in conflict with each other. You can't really have both. I guess what we decided to do in the end was take an approach that was not adversarial, 
prosecuting a case against conspiracy theories or, or tiki hacker specifically. We just wanted to recognize that these conspiracy theories exist, and if you want to understand why, you sort of have to listen to these people and talk to them in a way that isn't judgmental. Um, in terms of the New Zealand Public Party, its, it's rise was incredible, um, and it seems to have passed a lot of us by, even me. But, but I, th I think it's pretty clear that um, this is something that's been happening for, for quite a while. We, we saw conspiracies emerge, particularly after the Christchurch Mosque uh, terrorist attacks. There are a lot of conspiracies emerged around that, and, and the coronavirus has certainly given new fuel to some specific conspiracy theories. So they're clearly proliferating online. It's just a matter of how the mainstream media sort of deals with it. And like I said, I don't think we've, we've quite figured it out. In my opinion, what we need to do is, is recognise that these views exist and that they reflect something that the people who, who hold them are, are not necessarily bad people or stupid people, that, they, that these concerns are coming from a very real place. And it's our job as journalists to sort of probe what that might be and, and to sort of ensure that we're um, characterising them um, accurately. And that's the hard part, I think. Stuff's Charlie Mitchell. Few New Zealand journalists have had to grapple with the question of how to appropriately cover conspiracy belief as regularly as a documentary maker and former TV3 presenter David Farrier. On his blog Webworm, he's kept tabs on the rise of movements like QAnon in New Zealand and carried out interviews with experts on how to debunk conspiracy theories. He spoke to me before Tuesday's lockdown announcement about how journalists should react when they see once fringe beliefs becoming increasingly mainstream. Kia ora, Dave, and welcome to Media Watch. Uh, thanks for having me. So you've spent pretty much your entire working career investigating online conspiracy theories. How does the current level of online fervour compare to what you've seen in the past? Uh, I think what's really surprising about the last couple of years and even the past couple of months is that it's jumped from these obscure parts of the internet, not even that obscure, but parts of the internet you'd have to seek out into the mainstream. And so I think everyone, whether they're on Instagram or Facebook or, you know, walking down the street, they're going to encounter these kind of outrageous ideas very publicly, as opposed to something you'd have to seek out and find in some obscure place on the internet. Doesn't that kind of almost uh, diffuse the power of conspiracy theories? I thought part of the appeal was that you have to seek them out, and it's this hidden knowledge. Yeah, no, you're right, but I think the hidden knowledge has just become more obscure, and so you've got I I everyone that's into this stuff still feels like they are sort of an elite that has this secret knowledge because they've got the most obscure knowledge available and they've got the latest information. And so conspiracies used to be these separate ideas, you know, like 9-11 was an inside job. Did we land on the moon? JFK. There are all these disparate things with this kind of idea that there was this big power behind it all. What it's sort of morphed into um, over the last couple of years is that there is some sort of insider, Q, who knows everything, and he's dropping this coded information online that can then be interpreted by people that are into this stuff. The overall idea is that there's a group of global elites uh, who are running things. Um, they're the ones that invented COVID. They're the ones that are going to you know, get 5G out there in the community to um, kill us all. 
they're the ones that are behind Bill Gates uh, wanting to vaccinate everyone, um, Mark of the Beast, Satan. It just like blasts out into this huge overarching thing where every different conspiracy leads back to this blanket of QAnon. So like 5G conspiracy, we had this during the COVID lockdown that they were just saying that 5G was causing COVID. You're saying that's actually almost a, a sub a subcategory of Q. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's what we're seeing at the moment with this whole movement around Save Our Children. You know, you've got a group of people that have watched the Jeffrey Epstein documentary on Netflix. They see that this powerful man managed to get underage women for sex. And instead of that being the standalone scandal, now it taps into this whole massive QAnon narrative that Hillary Clinton has been keeping children like locked in underground tunnels for the last two years. You know, making them panic so that they can get adrenaline in their adrenaline in their blood that we can then drain that then like powers all the Hollywood celebrities to live forever. Every little event is now hooked onto by these people to propagate this bigger idea that uh, there's this huge, powerful group behind every conspiracy in the world. I think as the months go on, and especially as we head into our election, but especially uh, the election in the United States, where increasingly people involved in politics are uh, spreading and often believing a lot of these conspiracy theories, then I think this is just going to get bigger and bigger. And eventually we'll reach a tipping point where... I think everyone clocks this, but at the moment I think there's still this attitude that it's this wacky outlier and we don't need to worry about it. Yeah, which is becoming increasingly unsustainable. And I think that possibly that's shown in something you talked about, which is uh, Billy Takahika, the leader of the NZ Public Party. We now have this QAnon stuff that is actually transferring into our mainstream political discourse, and he's actually making a reasonably as these things go, respectable push. Yeah, he's got, you know, you see him in different town hall meetings around the country and people are turning up and they're different ages, they're different ethnicities, they're different from from vastly different backgrounds, but they're all united around the idea that they're deeply suspicious about government control and they don't want to be told what to do and they're going to vote. I think the chances of the uh, of Billy's party getting in are relatively low, but you can't deny the support is there and people are cottoning onto these ideas really quickly. And if they get 1% or something, people might just dismiss them. But is there more to this? You know, the, maybe they couldn't, they can't pull together these disparate strands of support, but would that 1% result uh, sort of disguise or shroud the actual scale of this in New Zealand? I mean, you just look at his Facebook, his, his party's followers are increasing daily by a lot of people, and that's just going to keep happening whether it's this election or next election. You know, people are falling down these, term everywhere, but they're, they're falling down these rabbit holes incredibly quickly, and this stuff can happen very quickly. I mean, Billy TK Jr., he was not talking about 5G killing us and and vast government conspiracies pre-lockdown. This all happened while he was locked in his home, doing his own research on the internet, mm. falling into these ways of thinking, and now he's uh, running a political party. You know, yeah. Jamie Lee Ross jumps on board. And, I mean, you think, you look at something like that, you think even people who are on board with some of Billy TK's suspicion of is what we're being told real or not, the second Jamie Lee Ross appears, you think people would fundamentally just go, oh, God, is he, is so, do we want to be joining this uh, this party like, is this something we want to engage with but it's all out the window it's just it's just people are very quickly 
believing it all straight away. And that's the thing. Increasingly, if you believe one conspiracy theory, because they're all under the umbrella of Q, you're going to believe all of them. And that's why you get these people who are vehemently anti-1080. They hate 5G. COVID isn't real. It's not like, oh, I'm going to believe a bit of this one and maybe not that one. Mm. It's all or nothing. And that is to me, is particularly remarkable. It's a full lifestyle change, right? It's, it's, like, it's, it's like finding religion. It's, a, it's the same thing. It's like finding religion. It, it's, it's all or nothing. It's like you believe all of the Bible or you believe none of it. It feels very similar to me. Is this a social media problem? Is it essentially people like Billy TK, I, others like, like him, going on Facebook and just finding this full life philosophy and adopting it as they do their own research? Yeah, it's, 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 it is definitely a social media problem, in part because of, you know, which we all know about now, algorithms pushing us towards these stories so that if you you know if you click on one wild story you're going to be fed another one straight away so it's partly that and it's also partly that thing of being able to find any community you want so if you are um, suspicious about 5g then there are three really huge facebook groups in new zealand that you can join the second you join them you're going to find thousands of like-minded people so it's and and you'll be welcomed. So, you know, in the past, if you had a particularly wacky idea about the world and you brought that up in public, people would probably say, David, that, that's a bit that's a bit crazy. Like, But now if I bring up this wacky idea, you have hundreds of thousands of people that will tell you, yes, you see the light. You've done your own research. You understand this now. Come and join us. All those other people are idiots. You are correct. Do you think that mainstream journalists are just, you know, do they have an appreciation of just how large and scary this is? Is it because it's social media and there's still that cringe there that there isn't necessarily as much serious reporting on this topic as there could be? Yeah, I I think that absolutely. And I also just think newsrooms don't know how to report on it. Like, they don't know who to talk to for analysis. They don't know if, if you're... The the six o'clock news, you don't know how to visually show that story. Like they're not the the pictures don't exist to break down how a conspiracy theory works and why we're hearing about this crazy stuff about five G. So I don't know how we tackle that problem exactly, but it definitely needs to be talked about in a in a wider capacity. You know, I think there's some there's been some amazing reporting on stuff recently breaking down the political party um, that Billy has formed with Jamie Lee Ross and just going through what they believe, how it's formed. So there is some really good long-form reporting starting to happen, but there needs to be way more. Hey, thanks so much for joining me, David Ferrier. It's a pleasure. Good luck. That's documentary maker and former TV3 presenter David Farrier talking there to Hayden Donnell. And on his blog, Webworm, David Farrier has kept tabs on the rise of movements like QAnon in New Zealand, and he's done interviews with experts on how to debunk conspiracy theories. And you can hear more of what David Farrier had to say there in that interview with Hayden. That's on the MediaWatch page of the RNZ website or the MediaWatch section of the RNZ app. As we heard earlier, the talkback host Marcus Lush had a big story to deal with on News Talk ZB when news of the new COVID cases and the upcoming move to Level 3 in Auckland broke last Tuesday night. But the day before, he was dealing with finding himself and his show in the headlines that night because of something that had happened on his show seven days earlier.
Uh, New Zealand, gr uh, good evening, greetings and welcome. Marcus Sush reporting from duty 8 past 8, 808 here till midnight. Uh, we have reporters, I think, at uh, the selection for Auckland Central for National. This is the candidate to replace Nikki Kay. That will be decided tonight. That was Marcus Lush opening his News Talk ZB talkback show last Monday night, as he always does, to the strains of the show tune, I am your lady and you are my man. And at that very moment, the National Party in Auckland Central was deciding who would be the lady or the man to do all that they can to win the seat again in the upcoming election. And Marcus Lush himself had unexpectedly become part of that story the same night. There are allegations a senior National Party figure attempted to derail the nomination of one of the candidates with a peculiar midnight phone call to talk back radio pretending to be someone he's not. Political editor Tova O'Brien reports. Tova O'Brien went on to report that Roger Bridge, a big wheel in the National Party in Canterbury, had tried to muddy the waters of that candidate selection with a pseudonymous talkback call, even though Roger Bridge himself told NewsHub he was not the mystery Merv. Sorry, Merv? No. Do Roger you, Bridge. Do you call up talkback as Merv? No, no. Soon after that, on News Hub at 6, Marcus Lush told his ZB listeners that Merv's round midnight call didn't seem to him like dirty politics at the time, just bad radio. There were texters saying, get him off, get him off. <laughs> it wasn't easy to listen to. I mean, you're not, you're not going to change great minds at 11.35 on a Monday night. I can't think of a quieter time for talkback. Monday's our dud night anyway. But if the story itself was odd and a little awkward, well, so was the call from Merv itself that night, which Marcus Lush introduced like this. 23 away from 12. Mm. Um, yeah. Merv, it's Marcus. Welcome and good evening. Oh, hi, Marcus. Now, Merv, whether he meant to or not, was clearly trying the host's patience as that call wore on. Uh, but I'm, I'm that confused. And then I had this photograph come through today, and, uh, oh, oh I'm, I'm that confused. Yeah, are you trying to be humorous? Why are you confused about the photograph? Well, it's only that she's on these billboards in Manuera, and then I pick up the Auckland Herald this morning, and she's standing in Auckland Central. And Marcus Lush tried hard to humour Merv, explaining the twists in the selection story for the allegedly confused caller. Yeah, well, I don't know whether you should be voting, but if, if you're struggling with this... But even the usually mild-mannered Marcus couldn't completely conceal his irritation with mixed-up Merv, as you can hear if you listen carefully. Yeah, oh, is she not standing again? Oh, God. Uh, you know, it's so hard to keep up with. I'm going to let you go, Merv. Flip. And having flipped Merv, there was just enough time before midnight for another burning topic on the talkback show that night, old school school shoes. Nomad shoes. I used to yeah. wear them at high school. They were the pricey um, sought-after shoe, weren't they? They certainly were. And if Trex versus Nomads leaves you puzzled, kids, ask your parents. And parents may remember the last time a senior National Party figure made headlines for pretending to be someone he wasn't on talkback. Northland MP John Carter was sacked as National's whip way back in 1995 when he called Radio Pacific claiming to be a workshy Māori bloke called Hone. 
The stunt rebounded on Honakata because at the time Prime Minister Jim Bolger was in Washington meeting US President Bill Clinton and he didn't want any questions about an MP going rogue on the radio back home diffusing the reflected glory in DC. But 15 years later, John Carter laughed about it in his valedictory speech in 2011. The Prime Minister got his photo taken shaking hands with the President and he appeared on page 8 of the New York Times and I appeared on page 1. It seriously pissed them off, I can tell you. But it probably annoyed real Māori people without jobs in the area at the time too, and those offended by John Carter posing as Māori to voice opposition to the government's fiscal envelope for Treaty of Waitangi claims. Now, adding another dimension to that talkback deception was that the host taking the call from Hone Carter at the time was another serving national MP, John Banks. And by coincidence, it was John Banks that Magic Talk pulled in to fill in for a week the week before last, the same week that Merv called News Talk ZB. And this week on Magic Talk, it was current national MP Paula Bennett who took over as the fill-in, as we heard earlier in the programme. How are you? Are you, are you well? Uh, I've got a bit of a um, head cold thing. Oh, me too. I had that last week. Um, but I'm fighting fit now, of course, otherwise I wouldn't be at work. Mm. Yeah. Spreading it around. <laughs> no, you see, so I haven't done that, so I'm obeying all the rules. Yeah, well, I've got this big hairy microphone in front of me now, so, um, yeah, well, I won't lick it. There you go. Probably more <laughs> than you needed to know, Hilary. Yes. Now, it isn't usual for a national network to hand the mic, hairy or not, to an MP with skin in the game, especially when there's an election campaign on, when the need for fairness in the news media is heightened, and it would be almost impossible to avoid getting party political, even if you tried, doing a week on talkback radio. And Paula Bennett was hardly trying not to on day one, backing up her leader Judith Collins's call on Monday that a Cook Islands travel bubble was taking too long. Bring on the Cook Islands, we should be going there, they're quarantine-free, we're quarantine-free. But if anyone that's a bureaucrat or a politician listening right now, can you please not stuff it up? What Paula Bennett meant there was COVID-free, not quarantine-free, though no one would argue with not stuffing up a travel bubble. And while Paula Bennett didn't actually urge listeners to vote national or not to vote for anyone else, she did claim that the government urging us to be prepared for community transmission recurring amounted to them using fear for electoral advantage. But they'll vote blindly for her. uh, that, That is scaremongering on a grand scale. It's not backed up by any medical science whatsoever. And I reckon they're scaremongering now because we're six weeks away from an election. We are no more likely to see a community um, outbreak than we were two months ago. In fact, I would argue we were more likely to see a community outbreak bloody eight weeks ago because of how poorly they were looking after quarantine. And we're getting these words that, you know, gosh, we're more likely now and it's going to happen. And I reckon it's scaremongering. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to call it out. I think it's political. Well, this week, some Media Watch listeners who thought that that talkback stint this week was a bit political itself asked if it was a breach of the rules governing electoral advertising. But the Electoral Act says advertising rules don't apply to the editorial content of broadcasts, including news, comment and current affairs. They don't count as election programmes. And that was clarified by the Court of Appeal back in 2016 after the song by Hutt Valley bluesman Darren Watson, called Planet Key, had effectively been banned during the 2014 campaign. Back then, the Court of Appeal said election programmes are only those that are broadcast for political parties or candidates and not programmes initiated by broadcasters or other parties. 
Now, matters like balance, fairness and accuracy in news broadcasts at election time are dealt with by the Broadcasting Standards Authority, and the authority reminded broadcasters of this in guidance on election programmes which it issued earlier this year in March. Now, most major news outfits have their own internal standards and principles to ensure even-handedness at election time, for example, like ensuring that current politicians are not featured in general non-news or current affairs programmes until after the election. But there's nothing to stop a broadcaster having a politician as a host if they want to, even at election time and even during a pandemic. On News Hub at 6 last Thursday, the political editor Tova O'Brien said this. A group of more than 50 leading scientists and health professionals have penned a letter to all politicians urging them to put politics aside, resist the temptation to scaremonger and point score. And it's not the first time those experts have made such a plea. Back in March, just before our first COVID-19 lockdown, the New Zealand Medical Journal published an appeal signed by most of the same medical professionals, which made this point. It is the media's role to report on matters of public interest and concern, and we ask politicians to leave this task to them and instead show leadership in spreading essential information. We need our politicians to avoid cluttering the media landscape with political messages and undermining the life-saving information coming from government, health professionals, scientists and public health officials. And it's a safe bet that they didn't foresee that six months later a media outlet would add to the clutter by making a partisan politician a presenter during what turned out to be a pretty significant week. That's all we have for you on Media Watch this weekend, but we'll be back again with more on the media at about 10.30 next Wednesday night, talking to Karen Hay on The Lately Show for Midweek Media Watch, and then back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.